Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hello, I'd like to welcome you again today as we continue in the study of this wonderful book of Exodus. Let's look to God first in prayer. Father, thank you so much for taking the time to write down, Lord, things that we need so desperately to know about you, who you are, who we need to be. Help us, Lord, to glean this as we study today in the book of Exodus, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you follow along here, just to get the context, or read again the text here, and uh, well, I'll start this time with verse 4 of Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and a large, and unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of the Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Okay, now, as we've looked in the past here, it's particularly focusing in on verse 8, where God said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large. There are two very important words that we need to focus in on in Exodus 3.8. And those are the words, come down. Come down, God said, I am come down. And he said, why? He said he's come down to deliver them. Out of what? The hand of the Egyptians. What for? To bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large. He describes it, a land that's flowing with milk and honey he says that right now it's being occupied by the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but that's the land that God had in mind for them to go to. 
But with those two words, come down, we can see how Jehovah, the Lord here, that Jehovah saw what he was doing to deliver them. It was a process. And he described that process as coming down. He was descending from heaven to earth. He was descending from heaven to earth. And that's how he saw himself. When he looked at himself, he said, I am coming down, or I am come down to deliver them. So now, with those in mind, we'll now fast forward over 1,000 years into the future there from that point. And the same person, the very same person is speaking But there's one difference now as this person speaks. And that difference is that now, over 1,000 years later, that same person, who's that person? The eternal Jehovah, he now has been made flesh. As it says in John 1.12, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's over 1,000 years since he spoke these words to Moses of, I am come down to deliver. And now he's the same person. He's the eternal Jehovah. But what's happened now is that he has made himself of no reputation. As it says in Philippians 2.7, speaking of the great staircase that the Lord Jesus Christ walked down from heaven. And one of those steps was he made himself of no reputation. And it also says in Philippians 2.7, and again, 1,000 years later, it says that the eternal Jehovah, the next step down, he took upon him the form of a servant, the form of a servant. 1,000 years later, after he had spoken those words to Moses, I am come down, that same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Jehovah, the eternal Jehovah, says in Philippians 2.7 that he made himself, he, he was made in the likeness of men. He made, so we can see him now on this staircase coming down. And with each step, he steps down lower. And he takes that first step down and he makes himself of no reputation. And then he goes to the next step down and he's made in the form of a servant. And then the next step down, he's made in the likeness of men. And then the next step down, it's for the suffering of death. And then the final step down for the death of the cross. So it's a staircase that goes one step after another. And he says he's coming down. And that's what he says here in Exodus 3, 8. For I am come down to deliver them. And we can see him doing that. Over a thousand years later, the same person, the eternal Jehovah now, he's now called by a new name that we don't know of this name when we see here in Exodus 3. But this new name is Emmanuel, or God with us, as it says in Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God together with us, our togetherness, together with God, God with us. So he would come down, and then he would be among us, God with us. Over a thousand years later, he'll get, he'll, we, the eternal Jehovah, here in Exodus 12, Exodus 3, 8, as he says to Moses, I am come down. A thousand years later, he will come down and this time take on the name of Jesus. 
as it says in Matthew 121. Why Jesus? The angel explained why. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, or he shall deliver his people from their sins. I am come down to deliver them, Exodus 3.8. Jesus, for he shall save or deliver his people from their sins. So it's over a thousand years later that the same person, the same person who said to Moses that he was come down to deliver them, now says these words in John 3, 13, and no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down. See, Exodus 3, 8, I am come down to deliver them. And the Lord Jesus Christ says in John 3, 13, that he is the one that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, that's how he called himself, the Son of Man which is in heaven. The same person under the name of Jehovah, the eternal Jehovah, the great I am Jehovah, speaking to Moses when he said, I am come down to deliver them, that same person now, a thousand years later, under the name of Jesus, the Son of Man, says that he has come down from heaven. Only this time, he's speaking as the Son of Man, as Jesus, the Son of Man. And then he elaborates in John 3, on how he is going to deliver as he has come down. And he says that he has come down in John 3, uh, sorry, in Exodus 3, 8, he said he came down to deliver them out of the hand, the yad, the hand of the Egyptians, it says that there, out of the hand of the Egyptians. The word hand or yad in Hebrew is oftentimes used for the word power. When later on, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking as Jehovah, Jehovah Jesus, in the book of Hosea, will say that I will deliver them from the power of the grave. And that's the word hand. I will deliver them from the hand, the yod of the grave. So here he's speaking, and, and, and he said that he would deliver, the, he came down to deliver them from the hand, and we can say very certainly that is the power of the Egyptians. And so in John 3.13, when he says, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son which is in uh, even the, even the um, Son of Man which is in heaven. And now he describes in John 3, this most famous passage in the Bible, exactly how he's going to deliver them as he's come down. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him, or trust in him, Whosoever believeth or trusteth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, then he gets into the question of why this was done. Why did God do this? And he explains in John 3.16, right on, he continues on, he says, I'll tell you why, because for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth or trusteth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he told Moses that he was come down to bring them up out of that land unto a good land. And then when the Lord used those words in Exodus 3.8, that he had come down to deliver the Jewish people out of the hand of the Egyptians, 
we see that his never-changing character, his never-changing purpose, his never-changing goal to come down and deliver man is now spoken by him in the flesh as he explains the how he is going to deliver man from his sins and to bring him up into heaven. So when he referred to bringing Israel up out of the land of Egypt, he's going to break the hand, break the power of the Egyptians, then he spoke of bringing Israel or the Jewish people into what he called a good land and a large land. And we know that God's eternal interest is to rescue man, to rescue man from his individual Egypt, from his individual oppression, from the individual power of sin that's over each and every one of our lives, and to bring him individually to heaven as you. Now, what is heaven? Let's think about it. What is heaven? Everybody's, we're all interested to know what heaven is like, but, and he told us in essence, what heaven was like in a very wonderful passage in John 14, one through three. This is really a passage about heaven, and he says it like this. He begins off in saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, you put all these verses together, and you almost can put in little uh, words here to bring it together. He says, let not your heart be troubled. How? You believe in God, believe also in me. Why should, we not, why should we not let our heart be heart trouble? Because in my Father's house there are many mansions. How do we know? Well, if it was not so, I would have told you. So what are you doing? I go to prepare a place for you. And so what happens then? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For what purpose? That where I am, there ye may be also. So you look at that sometime. It's John 14, 1 through 3 with that in mind. So just as when Moses told the Jewish people that they were going to leave their well-known land of Egypt, for better or for worse, Egypt, and go into an unknown world of Canaan, they were anxious about it. I mean, obviously, and they, this gets reflected out, as we'll see later in the book of Exodus. And they had questions as to what this was going to be like and whether it was going to be better. So it is with us when the time comes for us to leave or take our exit from this world, going from the known world that we know, and to the unknown world of heaven, there's a measure of anxiety. There's a measure of question about it. What's heaven like? So therefore, his first words, as he's looking into our hearts and he sees the anxiety that's there with this idea of dying, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, don't let it be troubled. It reminds me, you know, I used to go sailing, and it's like a jib, the jib sail, the front sail. And uh, boy, when a big wind comes up, if you didn't have those gym lines cinched down, it'll flap in the wind and fly all over the place, and it'll just be totally at the mercy of the wind. And so that it's, that's the way it is for us. Our hearts are like a jib sail, and they flap wildly in the wind of trouble. And the way to keep a sail from flapping in the wind is to cinch it down, to secure it, 
And that's what he means when he said, let not your heart be troubled, cinch it down, secure it. He was saying to them, they said, cinch down the sail of their heart and not allow the thoughts to run amok, to run uncontrolled, to run into fears, to run into, oh no, and you know, the sky is falling and it's the unknown part about dying. But he says, don't let that happen. Let not your heart be troubled. But you know, he says, let not your heart be troubled. And he realizes we're gonna say, that's not enough that you say, let not our hearts be troubled. There needs to be a basis for controlling our heart. What's the basis for us to not let our hearts be troubled? So therefore, his next statement tells us why we should not let our hearts be troubled. So he says next, you believe in God, you believe in God, and that word means to trust. You trust in God, you rely on God, you put your confidence in God, so trust also in me, rely on me, put your confidence in me. In other words, he's saying that, look, you wanna know who God is? Well, he says, look at me, because I'm God who's become a man. That's what he's saying. And if they've found him, the Lord Jesus, to be trustworthy, then they put their trust in him for going to heaven. And then he tells us what we need to know about heaven. What is that? And that is that there is a house in heaven. It's called his father's house. And in his father's house are many mansions. He says there are many mansions. And then he speaks of what he's gonna do. And he says, what I'm gonna do is that while you're not there, I'm going to prepare, and that's the word. He says, I'm gonna prepare a place for each and every individual believer or truster or relier or leaner on me. I'm gonna do that. And that's the key word there is the word prepare. And that's the key thought is the, also the thought of promise because it's a promise that he's making here. So first we see, he says, we see that he uses this word prepare and we grab a hold of that word prepare and say, that's my word. I go to prepare a place for you. What's prepare mean? It means I'm gonna make it ready. I'm gonna make it ready for you. And that brings us back, and when we really think about this, that takes us all the way back to the first pages in the Bible. The first pages of the Bible, which is about creation, in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the creation, we look at the creation, and we see it from a different light when we look at the word prepare. Because in the creation, we see God at work preparing or making a place for man, just like he said. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. That's exactly what we see God doing in Genesis 1 and 2, preparing a place for you, preparing a place for man. And the creation is all about God preparing a place for man. That's what it's all about. So when we look at John 14 and he says, I go to prepare a place for you, we get the crystallization of what he meant when we read Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation because we see that just that way. Now each day of the creation has great significance. Each day of the creation is something for us to mull on, to meditate on. But let's look at each day of the creation in the context of God preparing a place preparing a place, because that's what he said in John 14. I go to prepare a place. Let's look at how he is. What kind of a preparer is he? We get to see that from the creation. On the first day of creation, on day one of the creation, God prepared for man. Before he created man, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come again, and then I'll bring you after the place is prepared, see? 
So before he brought man into the earth, before that, God prepared for man on day one of creation, the earth, the earth, a place for man to live in. And God created that place for man to live in called the earth before man was created. And then God created or prepared for man the light, the light. Why? So that man could see, so man could understand that God is the illuminator of truth. Therefore, God created the light in a preparation before he brought man onto the earth. He created, the light was there, prepared for man. And then God created or prepared for man the darkness. Why the darkness? God says God created darkness, says that. I created darkness, said that in, also in Isaiah. The darkness, why? So that man could understand what God is not. God is not the author of darkness. He's not the author of confusion. He is not a confuser. He is not a deceiver. He doesn't speak with a crooked tongue. He doesn't say one thing and mean another thing. He's not a spreader of falsehood. That's darkness. Now, on this very important first day of creation, when God created the earth, but he created the light and the darkness, God had prepared for man, not just the light and the darkness, but God had prepared for man something very, very important, which was choice. God had prepared for man choice. By creating light and darkness, God had created a choice for man so that man would have before him a choice to be made. By creating light and darkness, God was setting up the situation for man to use his will to choose between light and darkness. And later on, God would step in as his counselor, his wonderful counselor, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6, his wonderful counselor, and he would say in the book of Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, therefore choose life, God says, choose life, but death is there also, but darkness is there also. So he created the situation for man to make a choice because God was preparing for man a place where man could exercise and strengthen his will to choose God, to choose good, and therefore to refuse Satan and to refuse evil. If you want, God made a gym for man, a place where man could go and exercise, not his body, but his will, in order to strengthen, not his body, but his will, to strengthen his will by having this opportunity to choose between good and evil, between light and darkness, between God and Satan, between life and death. And that's what God's all about. He's all about creating the situation so that man would strengthen his will. Man would use his will on his own. Be strong for God. And then Paul emphasizes that a lot later on. So when God was going to create man, God was going to crown man with the sovereignty of choice. God would never use his divine sovereignty to steamroll over man's choice. God would create man, and he hasn't done it yet because we're still on day one of creation, but God would create man with his own ability to choose 
And so with the creation of light and darkness, God had created the stage, he set the stage where man would be placed onto and where man alone had to choose between light and darkness. And then man alone would have to choose between God and Satan. And therefore, God had a basis for saying, come, blessed of my Father, into the kingdom that is prepared for you, or depart from me that work iniquity. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 